My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. We are so excited to jump into episode six of WandaVision. And given all of the kind of six iconography that has popped up throughout WandaVision, there's no surprise that this episode was extremely explosive. So we're going to get into that. Big Drake voice. Six, 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 six. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Please, <laughs> please edit that in with the actual audio. Uh, but first, we have a ton of just quick hitting news bits that we want to get to because, as always, Eric, there's a shit ton of stuff going on in the entertainment industry. It's been a busy year so far. Yeah, a very busy start to the year so far. To start off, I would say the pun of the kind of biggest news in terms of how it affects the culture writ large is that Lucasfilm has fired Gina Carano after a series of I would say questionable tweets over like a year period. I think my editor kind of wrapped it up the best by saying I am simultaneously shocked with how quickly Disney moved on this while also dumbfounded by how long it took. I thought that was well said by my editor. Yeah, I mean quick? I don't know. I don't uh, quick is not a word that I use. Quick is in 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 terms of this is uh, probably a response or at least the final catalyst from yesterday's Instagram post well, in which uh, I mean, he was up to no good. I, I feel like I want to give you the floor to speak on this since it is a Holocaust post that got her officially finally canceled. So the floor is yours. I will say the part about this story that I like the most is that it gives me an excuse to use the Mandalorian theme song in the show. Do 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 because yeah. I just love doing that. But beyond that, the floor is yours, kid. Listen, just I'm going to make this long story short because much smarter people have commented on this than I, but I posted on Twitter. I think it was either this morning or yesterday. Gina Carano is neither a big enough star nor a good enough actress to put up with the toxic baggage that comes with her. And Lucasfilm does not need Gina Carano's Cara Dune to make the Rangers of the New Republic a success. So this is a long time coming in for people who got, got up all up in my mentions. They're like, wow, this is how you treat someone with a difference of opinion. Like this is disgusting. No, this is not how I treat someone with a difference of opinion. If she was just a Donald Trump supporter, I would vehemently disagree, but that's absolutely in no way, shape or form call to fire anyone. I think Gina Carano deserved to be fired because she repeatedly spewed toxic messages, hateful messages against conspiracy theories conspiracy theories this was this was a, a range of hate directed towards uh jews a lot of anti-semitic posts multiple a, a lot towards the lgbtq plus community a lot of QAnon conspiracy theories a lot of pro-insurrection uh propaganda so it was a multitude of things and i think uh, a difference of opinion should not be fireable of course i don't think cancel culture culture should be applied in that i think it is warranted when you are using your large platform and following to spew hostile, toxic, toxic, and potentially damaging information and or viewpoints. And so I think it's justified. That's that's my 10 cents. Now, what do you think they do with the Cara Dune character? I thought Decider today had a great piece that really made connections that I didn't even kind of track myself. It is not in Lucasfilm's Uh, uh, kind of repertoire to recast roles. The only time they do that is when there's a significant time jump jump involved or when it's Mon Mothma, which was, you know, 10 seconds in Return of the Jedi, so not necessarily a central role. So 
otherwise, they've either done you know CGI characters or or written their way around it. So, so I you just think just, she'll just be cut out. Yeah, I think she'll just be cut out. And, and it was a great kind of point running through a lot of the history of Star Wars that pointed that out. And if they were to recast it, I say Lucy Lawless, but I, I don't think they're going to. Now, we weren't going to spend much time on this other than just to talk about the news itself. But one of our followers on Twitter might so have cool. uh, so unearthed cool. something very funny that I simply had to talk about. So Ryan Maples at Gus Maples. Today, I tweeted a clip of the ending of Return of the Jedi, where the whole galaxy is partying, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I said, and I said, like, live look at, you know, the world finding out that Gina Toronto got fired. Thank you. Thank you, kid. And somebody replied to that. I don't know. I don't know word for word what the reply was because the tweet is since gone. But it was something along the lines of, and it came from an account created today. At Sith Lord 1017, and I like looked up her MMA record and her birthday to see if somehow 10 and 17 fit into that. Point being, they responded to our tweet saying, uh, you know, not everyone is hyped about her being fired. So then this kid, Ryan, who follows us, replied to this account being like, is this a Gina Carano burner account? Because they only had one tweet, which read, came back to Twitter to see the BS with canceling Gina Carano. Some things can be resolved without firing someone. I met her during early MMA career in NJ. She was a kind person to a young MMA fan. Cancel Disney+. Plus. As soon as this kid, Ryan, called her out for being a burner account the account is deleted it's gone it's vanished from, dun, from, dun, from dun. <laughs> so i'd put it at a better than 50 percent chance that gina carano yep. had a burner today and was fired off tweets and just immediately sourced immediately <laughs> got him hashtag got him so ryan dude shout out to you because that shit cracked me up yeah seriously man thank you for pointing that out because that was truly hysterical eric sent it to me in a text while i was in the car on the way don't worry i wasn't driving and texting but i just started dying laughing immediately but uh let's keep it with star wars ish pedro pascal has been announced as the lead in hbo's the last of us adaptation written by the chernobyl creator craig Mazan Mazan. I always get the name wrong. I've said it wrong on multiple pods. I apologize. Not only that, but Game of Thrones is Bella Ramsey, who played the badass precocious- Scene stealer. Scene stealing. Scene stealer. The badass precocious Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. And by the way, both Game of Thrones alum, she'll be playing the female lead in the show. Now, Eric, I do not game, but of course I am aware of the beloved storyline of both Last of Us. And in college, I would drink many beers while watching my friends play and being like, hey, this is a good time. This game looks awesome. So like, do you want to take it away on the specifics sure. of what so, this represents? In terms of casting-wise, this is HBO just plopping their deck on the table. <laughs> There's no other way to describe this. Articulate, eloquent analysis. <laughs> That's what I bring to the podcast, those street terms. I and I it. just picture just like, an HBO man wearing a suit, coming home from a long day, going to his fridge, cracks a beer, and just drops his fucking schlong right on the table. Hey, that honey, we, we cast Pedro Pascal as fucking Joel this week. How about that one? <laughs> that is Casey Bloys, head of HBO and HBO Max. That's just his daily routine. I'm so, so I, so I say that because, and we've talked about it on this show before. 
Pedro Pascal's career arc, who I am increasingly think is a result of excellent management. Obviously, he's a great guy and a huge talent, but the way that he's picked projects, which is one of the more underrated qualities about being a actor, the way that he's chosen his roles and has grown into a bonafide A-list star where he's now leading yet another HBO show. Incredible. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is perhaps more so than any video game that I could think of off the top of my head. You know, like I'll say this about Tom Holland's Uncharted is also one of these where it is it is a narrative-driven game and, and is therefore more suited for a film than, you know, the Warcrafts of the world. The reason it's such fertile ground for particularly a show is twofold both on the micro scale in terms of the human relationship between Ellie and Joel, which the long and short of their story is that she's not his real daughter, but she's his pseudo daughter as they cross paths in a zombie ridden USA and they travel across the country. And I'm not going to get into the details, but she is more important than she seems. And that sort of, plays it into it so there's a lot of stuff on the micro scale that could work and then on the macro world building scale this is a game series that did a great job in building out the lore of the world and how survivors divided themselves into specific unique factions cool and how there's sort of a post-apocalyptic society that is i really dig that as someone who has not played the games whatsoever that's awesome that has grown in the way and like you know there are all sorts of groups some are seen as extremists etc etc they're all warring so all that said i think the casting choices the fact that it is being written by a proven writer who has done something great at hbo before and the narrative ground in which it has to plant its seeds makes this perhaps the most anticipated tv project of the next year or so i mean it's huge and i just want to very quickly point out a few Pedro Pascal career highlights starting with 2014. We got Game of Thrones. We got Narcos on Netflix. We got Kingsman the Golden Circles. We got The Equalizer 2. We got uh, Triple Frontier, which maybe not the best movie in the world, but a but big It was a big deal Netflix. at the time, yeah. for sure, yeah. We got Wonder Woman 1984. We got Mando, and now we have The Last of Us. So a huge mix of like mainstream blockbuster projects, a few prestige things. And there are co- several roles I didn't even mention because I'm just running through it quickly. Like, yeah, he was in the great uh, 2016. It was 2016 or 18 prospect. So he, you know, he's getting it in yeah, on, on both a one. big and small scale. I am, I am beyond hype for this show. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm extremely excited. And again, not a gamer. It just looks like it's, it sounds like it has all the pieces of, potentially potentially the best ever video game adaptation yeah and now since it's only a matter of time because he's such a big star and this is what big stars do these days we put out a tweet saying what would your dream mcu role for him be do you have one b because from the postcred pod account i put up a side by side of him and victor von doom I like that. Pretty convincing. Okay. And Dr. Doom is somebody who, while a bad guy, he could be fashioned into an anti-hero. So they could sort of use him in both ways. Some responses we got were Adam Warlock, the Beyonder. Uh, Beyonder someone, would be cool. Someone said it's too late now, of course, but Dr. Strange, Reed Richards, Jubilee, uh, another 
Beyonder. Someone said Chameleon. We've got a we've got two Cravens, which we'll talk about next. A Mephisto, and then one that has gotten the most likes is Gambit. Oh, I was gonna say out of all those that you just said, I liked your your Doctor Doom suggestion. I think that's great, but Gambit. Oh, that one seems to fit because he he has this kind of dangerous, sexy personality flair. And Victor Von Doom, I, I'm not saying he doesn't have that, but he's certainly a little bit more straight line. You know, you you know what Von Doom's about. But you know, everyone who anyone who's watched the X-Men animated cartoon from the 90s know that Gambit is like all flair, all personality. He essentially is Oberyn. Right. I, I, yeah, no, I, that's the best one. I love that. <laughs> I, I need that. Now that it's in my brain, I can't not have that. Whoever okay, put that enough. out there you, in the world. Uh, hold on. Let, let's, let's give this man a shout out since he nailed it so much. This is I at Michael that. Breen, at MJ Breen 213. Wow. That, that guy's the man. And I just want to say quickly, I, I really do kind of like very left field. The fan cast from my friend on Twitter, at Up to Task. He said... Um, William Jackson Harper, who plays Cheaty on The Good Place as Reed Richards. And I, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. And you know what? I, I kind of love it. He's a good actor. As we saw from that one episode that lit Twitter on fire, the dude's ripped. So I, I like it. All right, sticking with casting, according to the Illuminarity, uh, Keanu Reeves has reportedly been offered the role of Craven the Hunter. Now, this would be in Sony's universe of Marvel characters. It has the potential to cross over with the MCU because as we've seen based on rumors, it looks like they're building to sort towards some type of bridge, but Eric, wait, what's, what's your take on Keanu Reeves Craven the Hunter? Cause All right, well, I want to say, I think that's underwhelming. First of all, I want to, yes, agreed. If we're going to cast Keanu, I would, especially in a villain role, I'd rather it be somebody that's sort of, overarching like a silver surfer or a galactus even or a, a norman osborne with a norman osborne kind of even right so the solo film was described in the report as a mashup of logan meets man on fire which is interesting because the characters that lead those films are both heroes so that speaks to how they're planning to use craven which as I'm not a Spider-Man comic guy, but that's never the vibe I've gotten from what I've heard about him. I think the Sony universe is a joke. Um, <laughs> Flat out joke. I, I mean, Venom, the fact that it did as well as it did, God bless, but it feels like it was made in 2007. I love Tom Hardy in that movie, but I do not like Venom. Um, and then their next one is fucking Leto and... Morbius, which again, no hype here. So I would, I assuming he passed on this role because he as well seems like a smart guy. And if he is going to take the jump back into the world of wearing a cape, it would be in Marvel or DC. I don't think he would sign himself on to Sony's corner of that genre. So yeah, bottom line is eh. I like a previous rumor that said Keanu up for Adam Warlock, who is most likely in that egg thing at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I, I think that's cool. I'm pretty sure that's been debunked like a year ago, two years ago, but that was always a casting I liked. Yeah. All right, Snyder Cut. We got a full trailer coming February, February 14th. Over the last week and a half, we've got a ton of new promo images, including a clear look 
at Jared Leto's Joker with no damage on his head. Eric Italiano is super hyped about that. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I believe the most recent promos have also teased Superman in the black suit, which is a cool element. So, Eric, yes or no, has your hype increased for the Snyder Cut? Oh, no, 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 no. This is not for me. This is for you. Oh, well, all right, fine. Yes, it has. I think they've done a great job of sort of rolling out the content that fans want to see to let them know that this is going to be something different. Joker is a great start. Look, man, as I, you know, I don't want to go over this point again, but I was not a fan of the first version of this, but this Joker looks fucking scary as hell. I would not want to run into this guy. The trailer, I'm fascinated to see because I'm curious how they're going to strike that balance of showing us new footage but not also showing us too much but i am more excited than i thought i would be because while i've been excited for the film i've been generally down on its prospects but now my expectations for what it could be have grown that's fair i'm, I'm happy for you buddy and you this is for you brandon my hype and excitement levels and anticipation levels are exactly the same as they were a few months ago which are relatively low i just want to quickly say too this is snobbery of me but it's true i just don't care about promo images or official stills from any movie because they are so far removed from what we ultimately get on the screen i mean i remember when warner brothers released the bald look at jesse eisenberg and everyone was like you know what? That's pretty good. <laughs> and he ended up being terrible. That was I'm a cool to... photo, though. That was you're yeah. right, though. Yeah, no, you're right. You're and right. I'm genuinely not trying to pick on like the Snyder verse with that. It's just kind of the most analogous comparison we can make to to something like releasing Jared Leto's photo, which looks cool. But I, I'm always the guy who judges off footage. So ask me again after the trailer drops. As of right now, I'm still relatively, you know, low on it. But like, I I hope it's good. I never root for superhero material to be bad. People don't get that. But your excitement hasn't grown an inch no. over the last six months or so? No, not really. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailer at the Super Bowl. We got the return of Daniel Brühl's Baron Zemo, who we first met in Civil War. We got the return of Emily Van Camp's Sharon Carter, who was kind of being built up to play a role in the MCU and then was kind of shafted. Like, they, they pivoted away. Uh, we got... Uh, what else do we got? We got the introduction of, or no, the, the reintroduction of Madripoor, the Far East city, kind of like Wakanda and Sokovia. So a lot going on in that trailer. What did you think, Eric? I am glad that WandaVision was the first Disney Plus show to air because this looks like more typical standard MCU fare. And while that's all well and good, outside of the plot itself, you could already sort of tell that the vibe of this show is going to be, and that's fine. So what I really looked for was in terms of what it tipped us off to. And there's a few things here. Baron Zemo, he was in jail. Uh, Martin Freeman's... I don't think he's Baron in, in the MCU. I think he's just Zemo. Helmet Zemo, whatever. Yeah. Baron, Helmet, whatever the fuck his name is. Well, because no, Baron's a title. I know, I know, I know, I know. I would um, like to see him become a Baron. I think that's cool. So he was in jail. So how he got out of jail is going to be a point uh, of the plot for sure. He seems to be doing the same thing he was trying to do the last time we saw him. And that seems to be the wipe out superheroes. He's it's like, of good course, luck at this point. There's like fucking 50 of them in the I MCU know, right? alone. And, uh, I know. Obviously, he's wearing his mask, his purple sort of ski mask vibe that is known from the comics. Madripoor, it has connections to X-Men, 
Logan, the Hand, who are the bad guy that we saw in the Daredevil and Iron Fist series, who may also pop up in the Shang-Chi series. So maybe Madripoor is sort of how the MCU works towards the Shang-Chi world. Oh, that would be very cool since everything is setting up everything. I, I know, I know. And then uh, just the last sign, you know, based on our exclusive report from last week that Don Cheadle's roadie will be appearing in the show. He is nowhere to be seen in this. So MCU is obviously keeping that one close to the chest as of now. I I, I think it looks cool. You know, Yeah, overall, I completely agree. I think the money is clearly on the screen. You know, Falcon flying through the desert with missiles exploding around all around him. That's not something you see on TV every day. That's very cool. But like you said, it's definitely more straightforward and traditional. And at this point in the MCU's run, I'm definitely more attracted to the weird, the odd, the risk-taking. So I I guarantee I'll enjoy it, but it's not necessarily a top two or three anticipated Marvel Disney Plus series for me. So we expect WandaVision, I mean, they have dropped a bomb at this point, but we expect them to drop more bombs you know that Falcon and every show from here on out is going to contain something that entirely changes the narrative around what that series is. It's required viewing if we want to keep pace. Right. So there's going to be something huge in that show that is going to make news and redefine how we see it as a whole. I'm sure. And, And whether or not they pull off whatever that big spoiler hashtag worthy event is, will probably go a long way in defining how we feel about it long term. Right, yeah. All right, sticking with some of the kind of new corners of Marvel, the Russo brothers gave an interesting quote to the Lights Camera podcast recently when talking about Wolverine. They said, you have to really find the right actor to come in and give a really different take. But I'd love to take a crack at Wolverine. I thought that was interesting because, Eric, really at this point, the Russo brothers have carte blanche when it comes to Marvel. I'm sure they could go to Kevin Feige and be like, this is what we want to do. And I'm sure he'd probably give them the green light. But would you want to see the Russos be in charge of however the MCU relaunches Wolverine? Well, when I spoke to them last year, we talked about how they would also like to return potentially for Secret Wars, which to be clear is different than Secret Invasion and is something that could still happen down the line in the MCU. Would I want to see their take on a character like Logan? Not really. If it was up to me, I wrote down here Tarantino would be unbelievable. Like if there was a comic book character for him to sink his teeth into the blood and the gore and the cursingness and just the sort of jagged edges of Wolverine would be perfect for me. So while I respect and love the Russo's work, I'm just not sure that this is the the individual character for them. I agree completely. We're very aligned today so far. I think Mangold proved that you need someone with a very definitive take and a clear kind of left of center ambition and goal. And I love the Russos. I love what they've done in the MCU, but I'm not sure they're the guys to put a singular spin, a refreshing spin on a Wolverine character we've become so familiar with. So yeah. completely with you on that. Eve. Now, do you have any fan casting ideas? Cause I have a few here. You know what? I've kind of stayed away from fan casting Wolverine because it's just such a hard role. It's such a talked about role. There are certainly ones I like, you know, I, I think Henry Cavill as Wolverine is kind of interesting. I'm That's not, a, I'm not a person who thinks that he needs to be a short guy just cause he was short in the comics, but 
I don't have any like strong feelings on existing actors. Like if they went with a complete unknown, I'd be like, awesome. That's probably the best outcome for everybody. Interesting one. Cavill. That's good. I like that. It's not mine. It's not mine. Yeah. That's one that's been out there. And then one that's been out there for some time is uh, what the hell is the, the, uh, the kid's name, Taron. Yeah. Don't want that at all. Uh, The first place that my brain went was my boy, Jake Gyllenhaal. Goddamn shame that he's tied up in the MCU. Shia, but he got canceled again, so can't be Shia. Tom Hardy, but he's Venom, so can't be him. Timothy Chalamet? Question mark. Hey, uh, it's too scrawny for me. Listen, I know that that and, shouldn't be a anyone could put on weight, kid. <laughs> getting mean, he, getting ripped is the easiest part of their job. I don't know if that's the case for his string bean looking ass. <laughs> I love Timothy Chalamet, super talented, but I don't know if that's his frame is even going to support that. Not that that should be a prerequisite for the role, but I I, I am stuck by my own bias. Like I want something. Either way, either way, I don't think we'll see Wolverine in the MCU for I don't know three more years. Yeah, I agree. It's not going to be for several several more years. Yeah. All right, Judas and the Black Messiah hits HBO Max. Today, technically, Eric, you saw a screener of it. You want to hit us with some some review points because I have not yet seen it. Well, I can't believe you forgot to ask about this one. This trailer, uh, best trailer of twenty twenty. I think I, I, the yeah. Batman. I was so hyped on it because this trailer is one of the best I've seen in some time. I am happy to report that the film lives up to trailers hype. Love that. The performances, particularly of the leading three of Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith, 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 Lakeith Stanfield, Lakeith Stanfield, and Jesse Plemons are all great. Kaluuya's Hampton is seismic. It's hard for me to see five more performances this year that are more worthy for a best Hell yeah. actor nom. You'll I mean, love for to five for five people to. to because it's because it's five totals. That means that there would need to be five better than him for him to miss out. It gives me worry that this film drops so early in the year. So, but beyond that, to look people in the face and say that he isn't one of the best performances of twenty twenty one would be shocking to me. Because he no, is. It's good that it drops now because there it's all about recency bias. That's why you see some campaigns stall. Would when he cat? Oh, yeah, he he's would eligible. be part of twenty twenty yeah, cycle no, because they extended it because of the pandemic. He is eligible for this year's run. Oh, that so, changes everything. Yeah. Oh, I think he's a lock. Then I think he's a lock there for sure. Go. Oh wow, that's oh I did not realize that. Oh and wow. I, I have said this before and been met with a ton of opposition almost every time, but I'm sticking by it. Daniel Kaluuya as the next James Bond. Yeah, you did say that. I've been saying that for like two years. I'm not on board with that one, but he is just so great in this. Stanfield is good as always. I said this to you in a text. He's sort of becoming a little one note to me. Which I I thought was interesting because he's such an eclectic kind of versatile force. That I'm, I'm curious to see what is one note here. Every time I see him, he's doing this nervous energy thing where it just seems like he's about to, he's trying to keep himself contained. And he's just going to burst at any moment, which for a role like this, where he is undercover deep, that obviously makes sense. He's great. I just feel like he does the same thing a lot. Um, it, it's, but it's not like where Kalua, you're like, whoa, this is special. That's not quite the case here. And just overall, it's just solid all the way through. It's an adult drama that we don't get a lot with solid plotting, screenplay, character, set pieces, set design, some truly intense standoffs, 
both of the physical and vocal variety. Overall, I'd say it's an eight out of 10. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. We'll probably talk more about it next week when we've both seen it. All right, let's finish up with just some quick hitters, some quick one-line stories, Eric. Number one, HBO reportedly still considering a fourth season of True Detective. Meanwhile, season three of Succession and Barry have both begun production. Good to hear. Love that. Barry is the best. I fucking love that show. And they said that season four is like a lock at this point, too. They used the pandemic to write season four, even though it hadn't already been greenlit. So great for them. Can't wait. (laughs) Uh, Chris Evans is playing the villain in the Russo Brothers' $200 million Netflix movie, The Gray Man, which has an absolutely stacked cast elsewhere. Uh, I think Brian as we saw Gosling, Anna yeah. de Armas. Whew. Listen, I think as we saw in Knives Out, evil Chris Evans is just delightful. Yep. Having so much fun. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's Without Remorse, which was originally at Paramount, sold to Amazon. It has set an April 30 release date. They're hoping this could be a potential new franchise. Taylor Sheridan, the guy who wrote Sicario, the guy who wrote, uh, he, he created Yellowstone. He's done a ton of really good stuff. He did a script punch up on Without Remorse. So Interesting. personally, I, I have high hopes. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. Uh, the Spot rumored to be an inside, Into the Spider-Verse 2 villain. All I know about him is he creates kind of, like in-world portal dimension thing, trans-dimensional right? sort of where. So if I were to, if I were to swing at you through my screen, my screen yeah. would be a portal, and I would punch you in the face. Which you know, well, which played. sounds great. That sounds I, like a sweet power. The reason I know him is because he was in the uh, original animated Spider-Man cartoon from like the '90s, which I've okay. been watching on Disney Plus, which is just a hell of a fun time. <laughs> Uh, Peacemaker series is dropping in January 2022. That'll be about six-ish months, five-ish months after The Suicide Squad drops in theaters. So a nice little bridge right there. And two months before the Batman hits theaters, glory be to God, praise be. (laughs) Eric, are you a Batman fan? I never knew. I don't know. And then Godzilla vs. Kong director Adam Wingard is directing a reimagining of Face Off, furious at this. Don't don't like the director. Don't think Face Off should ever be touched. It's it's a gonzo, beautiful piece of history that John Woo knocked out of the park. It should never be touched. I can't believe they're even considering this. Like, how dare they? It's, Especially with it, Adam Wingard, who, I'm, with all due respect, the last two movies he's made has not been great. Before that, he's made some good stuff. I, I, and you I know shouldn't what? be that harsh. You know, it was only a matter of time, but I, I didn't think it'd be this soon. I still remember the first one. Like, I... I <laughs> I still I remember wanna, the first one, dude. That I was a want, staple of, like, a, that is one of the first films that pop in my mind when I think of 90s just action schlock. <laughs> in, ni- in 2019, I showed it to two of my best friends, and, and they hated it, and they still, on our group chat, make fun of me for liking it. And I'm like, you guys are truly morons. Dude, they hate The Rock and Speed, too? I mean, what the hell's the matter with these guys? Do they hate I, McDonald's? Like, what's, you know, it's just no, pure I, goodness. No, not The Rock the person. The Rock the movie. Oh, no, The Rock's amazing. Yes, like come on, these are '90s staples. Face Off is fucking ridiculous, but that's the point. Face Off is phenomenal. I can't believe that. Yeah, that's brutal. All right, the Wandavision time, shall we? Wandavision time. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. 
Now oh, let's hop into WandaVision this week. It's episode six. Remember, it's only a nine episode season, so we're very much angling to the end game here. Lame Marvel pun intended, of course, on that sentence. Um, so this episode, it starts off in a 1990s setting that to me was very much inspired by Malcolm in the middle. Uh, Wanda wants to spend the boys' first Halloween together as a family, but Vision comes down the stairs, uh, also joining Wanda in having a somewhat lo-fi comic accurate costume. And he tells her that he's going to patrol the streets with the neighborhood watch. They have this subtly tense, like tete-a-tete. There's definitely a little bit of tension and argument going on. But Vision, to me, was clearly trying to, like, quote-unquote, play his part within the sitcom in order to kind of go off and do his own agenda. What did you think of that? I think that I could always, I think that I could always trust you to inject the bourgeois in this show. Tete-a-tete? What is that, French? What does that even mean? Like, it's like... It's like that's a one of those spark. things that, that yeah that I know what it means but I don't know what it actually means. I mean I um, couldn't tell you a literal translation. I so just some quick notes here. Billy, the one who's wearing like the red sort of cape with the blue headband, that's also a lo-fi comic book look. That is so by the end of this episode, everyone gets a lo-fi comic book actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even though I don't care about the costumes. Similar to back when we would talk about the Mandalorian, this was very much filler. This was maybe the worst one yet, because at least like the first two, even if you weren't a fan of the sitcom stuff, it was it, it was new and it was something totally out of left field, so you could enjoy that part of it. This was as traditional tv show as this series has been yet except for obviously the expensive cgi parts just sort of in terms of moving the plot along that's what this one did as for this first scene here i do sort of like how both wanda and vision are now both beyond pretending right vision is like He's like, yeah, I'm wearing this thing because I have no fucking clothes in my closet. <laughs> uh, Wanda, when he tells her that he's going out for the day, she's like, you're not supposed to. And then she stops herself. She's like, you didn't tell me that you have plans. So she is no longer trying to pretend like she's trying to control him. And he's no longer trying to pretend that he's not fucking pissed about it. So we're starting to reach a fever pitch in terms of especially where Vision goes from here in terms of these two truly standing off it's like a couple that knows they've essentially hit rock bottom in their relationship but they still have to cohabitate so there's that there's that tension and yet there's like okay honey i'll do it after work (laughs) this woman is you know there's a little bit of that going on which i like so pietro offers to step up as this kind of father figure and take tommy and billy trick-or-treating with wanda but he really just doesn't care and is kind of playing the role of dysfunctional man-child uncle who's here to cause tension. Uh, It's very funny, though. I think this is probably the funniest episode in terms of leaning into the sitcom hijinks and that type of sense of humor. Uh, Him and Tommy are zipping around in their super speed because the twins' special abilities kick in in this episode, which is very cool. One thing I liked about this stretch, too, is Pietro reveals himself to be the most self-aware character in all of Westview. Uh, Like I said, he says he's only playing the role of the dysfunctional uncle because that's what Wanda and the sitcom demand of him. He also reveals that he retains memories of his death in Age of Ultron. And when asked why he looks different, because obviously Evan Peters is not 
Aaron Taylor Johnson. He simply says, if really? I found, yeah, yeah, shocker, hashtag spoilers. Uh, he says, if I found Shangri-La, I wouldn't want to be reminded of the past. And for anyone who doesn't know, Shangri-La is a fictional city from a 1930s novel. It's basically this harmonious paradise. And he's saying that Wanda has found her paradise, so she's kind of blocking out everything that came before. Uh, during this exchange, she also catches a glimpse of the bullet-ridden dead corpse of Pietro, which was a shocking, harrowing, quick-cut kind of moment. And it very much represent, uh, very much tied into how she hallucinated dead vision a few weeks back. Now, all of this stacked on top of each other is evidence that perhaps suggests that in some way, Evan Peters is the original Quicksilver, even though he's not Aaron Taylor Johnson. But that in itself opens up its own can of words, can of worms. Is Pietro self-aware because he's not a real person co-opted by Wanda's spell in Westview and he's just kind of a man physical manifestation of what she's doing there? Is he uh, someone who was created by Mephisto or S.W.O.R.D. or any other types of theories? We don't know really what's going on. Which do you think it is? And, I mean, listen, we're going to introduce some interesting theories on this pod connected to stuff later in this episode. If I had to choose right now, I don't. I, I think she still has plucked him from another multiverse because maybe Mephisto could, but he still hasn't been introduced, so we don't know if that's even going to be in play. And I think it might be a step too far for our sword theories, though I think the other part of our sword theory connected to Vision later, later in this episode makes more sense. I think we pointed it out last week. I had pointed out that just like Agnes, he is one of the few people in town that she doesn't see coming. Agreed. And didn't that's expect, a huge point. She didn't expect him to show up at that door, which suggests to me that it, that he is not of her creation. And perhaps the reason that he got recast is because they got it wrong. They just fucked it up. Like who, uh, you know, I think that sounds like too, that's too dumb of a way to explain it. But my point is I'm more in the camp of that. He is whatever the bad guys are trying to do projection of her brother. See, I, I, I agree with that in theory, but because we have not yet been introduced to a, an overarching big bad in WandaVision or B anybody else besides Dr. Strange and Wanda that can manipulate reality and, or touch on the multiverse. I have to go by what the evidence we have in front of us is. And right now she's the only one with the capability to pluck somebody from a multiverse. Now that could change. And I, I, I think that will change. Yeah. But right well, now that's the only thing we can go on because we literally don't have another bad guy yet. You have somewhere in our notes is the last three episodes enough time to introduce a villain. Yeah, like a I say guy. yes, right? Because it, if you think about it, all of these so far have been a half an hour long. So if they're at least that long, they'll probably be longer. That's a film length right there. So it can totally be done in terms of time. And my sub point of that too was assuming they do introduce a villain, which maybe they do, maybe they don't, that villain will probably have ties to either Loki, Spider-Man 3, or Doctor Strange 2. So it'll probably be a multi-arc type of villain. And not just that, but... I think it was Paul Bettany at some point during the buildup to this show. He said the final few episodes are on the same scale as a film. So whatever it is that's coming, they still have time to do it. I will get into this point more later, but I am still not convinced that this is sort of how mutants and 
X-Men and multiversal characters work their way in. I think whatever is going on with Pietro has to do with whatever the bad guy is behind the scenes here. And, and connecting to that as well for this more overarching question that we have that extends to the whole series and not just this episode. You know, they ask the question in this episode, how has Wanda increased her ability and powers to unprecedented levels to do this? And she says, basically, she doesn't really know. So either she's gotten a power up somehow and untapped something in her grief and trauma, or as we've been debating the entire season, there's something else, an outside entity or force at play. And you bring up a great point because she says that and she also reiterates once again, this time to Pietro, the last time she did it to Vision, that she doesn't know how this all started. But yet at the same time, she stole Vision's body Mm -hmm. and has massive control over Mm -hmm. this entire world to control all the people and expand how big it is the second she wants to. Something there doesn't quite fit for me. And I want to touch on that when, once we get to the specific scene with another character who may potentially assume control of the centerpiece of the kind of Westview projections. But we'll get there. Uh, moving on in the episode, Herb is on duty for the watch. And I just love how not only has his hairstyle, but his whole mannerisms have been updated from like 60s, 70s to 90s. You know, Herb low-key cracks me up. Yeah, it's, he's great. Uh, he reveals to Wanda that Vision is not working with them that day. So first of all, man, like even if you don't know what's going on in their marriage, just like cover for your boy, you know, like just have the wherewithal to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Vision's um totally he's on the other side. Yeah, of but the last time we saw him, he fucked up. So he's clearly not the sharpest <laughs> it's true. fake it's true. person. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, Vision is far away from their house exploring. He's finding residue residents on the kind of edge of Westview. And they're either standing completely frozen in their positions or repeating a minimal menial task on an endless loop. One woman is hanging laundry over and over as a single silent tear. That's a heavy shot. Yeah, big time. So I like this because Vision is seeing the true human cost of Walter, of Walter, Walter White's alternate reality. Honestly, (laughs) at this point, might as well be. Yeah, well, I think this was one of the weaker episodes. This vision walking around town scene and then building into the him trying to break out scene was one of the stronger sequences that this show has had so far. The way that they flipped this show, and I brought this up last week, from being a show about Wanda's pain to being a show about Vision's pain, his arc and it's probably only going to get worse from here once he learns, you know, the way in which he died, which I'm sure is coming at some point. The way in which he died twice. Twice, right? Exactly. Now it's going to be a third time. Yeah, so (laughs) so what they've pulled off with a fucking green android in terms of giving him an emotional human arc is incredible. And I love that you're saying that too, because if we're being honest, even the most ardent Vision supporters would have to concede that in the big screen movies that we saw him, he was good. Paul Bettany was great, but he didn't really have much to do. There really wasn't much going on. He had a love story that was kind of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just a couple scenes. There wasn't a lot going on. So I kind of liken this a bit to how they restored Hulk, how they restored Thor through, a, you know, a, a several kind of project arc. And he's really getting his just desserts here. Long story short. And just one more point on our boy here, as we see during this scene He's able to still fly. He could still tap into people's minds. So if he still has his powers, 
what is fueling him, fueling said powers, if not the Mind Stone? And as we'll discuss later, could somebody be trying to create a new Mind Stone? Because that was the source of his otherworldly powers. So I'm just curious as to, you know, him being alive and being a fake dad is one thing. Him being alive and flying around town is a new thing entirely. So Spoiler alert, it's cocaine. <laughs> Vision is just railing lines upstairs when Wanda's making the kids breakfast. And he's like, all right, time to suck it's the 80s dick. this week, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. no it's, it's, I think the 90s. it's early 90s. So he's a recovering cokehead who still dabbles a little bit on the weekends. Exactly, man. That's 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 why he thinks he can fly. He's actually just a regular dad having hallucinations. He's not even a superhero. He's just his mind is broken in his shitty Westview suburban life. That would make the most sense. So on visions travels to the outskirts of town in his full final realization that everything is going on is probably even worse than he initially assumed. He comes across Agnes, not frozen at a stoplight, but unmoving and completely out of it. He does what he did to Norm last week and basically raises her true subconscious to the surface. And she tells him that he's an Avenger, a term he does not recognize and that he is dead, a term he clearly does resonate with. Uh, so this was a huge, huge kind of conversation to me because I think it brings up a few points that are worth considering. Last week when he did this to Norm, Norm said, you have to stop her. You know, she's controlling us. He never actually said Wanda. Now, I think it's a bit too on the nose for it to be nothing. Our consistent theory, everyone's consistent theory, that Agnes is actually Agatha Harkness, who is a witch from the comics with her own powers and knowledge all her own what if agnes is the one creating the pietros and and other things going on and in this moment is she faking it is this just a red herring to kind of throw vision off the scent or is she also somehow a prisoner of wanda's i don't know that those were things that struck me immediately in that conversation yeah she does seem to ham it up quite a bit yeah absolutely so outside westview Dushi Sukai, a.k.a. acting director Hayward, orders Monica Darcy and Jimmy to leave the base because they show a modicum of patience and compassion, and he is clearly lacking in those departments. But they sneak inside and hack into his computer after a quick punch him up. Got to shout out our boy Randall Park, Jimmy Woo, for throwing hands and just being decisive in the moment. He's come so far from the kind of needy, hilarious, but relatively ineffective FBI agent. He was an Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, well, as we've seen with the card trick, he's got quick hands, so. That's true. And I like that Randall Park in a recent interview said, uh, they asked him, do you think Jimmy Woo was blipped? You know, was he snapped out of existence? He goes, I don't think so, man. He would have needed that time to learn the card trick finally. Uh-uh. And I just love that answer. You're the man, Randall Park. Yeah. Uh, Darcy is hacking and doing her whole, you know, I'm the smart one routine. And she discovers that Monica's trip through the hex has actually altered her on a molecular level, which every superhero fan in the world knows can only mean one thing. She's going to have superpowers. If not, she already has superpowers. And comic book fans will know that Monica Rambeau took up the Captain Marvel moniker for most of her superhero career, then actually switched to the name Photon. And from the comics, her abilities included... 
uh, extra dimensional energy. She can transform herself into any form of energy. She controls the electromagnetic spectrum. She controls gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet radiation, visible light, electricity, infrared radiation, microwaves, radios, radio waves. She's got flight. She's got super strength. She's got speed. She's got intangibility. She's got invisibility, all sorts of other crazy shit. So we know they're clearly setting that up, but quickly, it seemed like even before she went through the hex, there was some super powered stuff going on, such as when she bowls that guy over in the hospital, such as when she was already very iffy and jumpy when they were talking about Captain Marvel and her blood tests and all that. Seems like she's known about something for a while. So do we think that she is going to be a super powered factor by the end of this show, i.e. is her development into a superhero going to be like the big twist, you know, the Doctor Strange rival type that we've been saying that the show is going to have? It's a great question. My take is that if there is a future upcoming cameo, whether that be Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel, then that is probably the big late season move. If not, her emerging as a legit superhero and like, you know, the last two episodes being fully in command of her powers, that may be the late season reveal. I don't necessarily think there's room for both, though I also could be completely wrong. Yeah, but do you think that that will be in there at all? Regardless? I mean, like I said, if, if there's no Captain Marvel or Doctor Strange appearance, then yes. If, if there is, then no. Uh, yeah, same. But, but she will be clearly superpowered at some point in some movie or TV show in the near-ish future. Yeah. If not this one. And so what do we think Hayward's endgame is? Is it possible that he's just a prick and just bad at his job? <laughs> like, because to me, there are sort of inconsistencies in his personality, sort of the way that he treats Monica, who he was super sweet to the first time he saw her, and now is just a complete asshole to. I mean, what colleague throws your dead mother in your face in and, any work situation? Right, exactly. And the way that he sort of flipped on a dime reminded me of Wanda, of how I felt about Wanda when they showed that clip of her stealing Division's body. Something just doesn't stick. So I, I wonder, could something be pretending to be both of them to try to provoke both sides? Well, you open this question by asking, is he just a prick? Now, Occam's razor suggests that the simplest answer is usually the right one. <laughs> right, it is that. very possible that just for mere plot coincidence, you know, uh, plot necessity, he's just an underwritten prick, and there's no underlying mystery around him. That's very possible, and we've seen that type of figure take up a role in the MCU time and time again. But I tend to agree with you. He's not just evil in this episode. He's suspiciously evil beyond perhaps what might be, as we mentioned last week, the, the typical cliche condescending Republican who just gets in everybody's way in every movie. Now, you mentioned, is there maybe a, a Mephisto underline there? Possibly. I also found his word choice particularly interesting. He says to Monica that she is constantly advocating on the behalf of superpowered individuals. His rhetoric sounds a lot like Zemo's point of view from the Falcon yes. and the Winter Soldier trailer. Now, I, I don't the same know. Thing. Yeah, like, is there like a Thunderbolts bad guy team up in the works? I, I have no idea, but I think there's enough theories where whether he's just a regular dude who agrees with Zemo's whole scheme or he is under the influence of an otherworldly entity. Or maybe he's just a regular prick. I, I'm tending to lead towards the former as opposed to the latter at this point in the series. 
Okay. It's interesting though. I I like that little. He is a domino that needs to fall at some point in some way. I hope Jimmy Woo knocks him out at some point. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, nice. I hope and Monica it, does. Monica and then takes his job. Yeah, <laughs> I would like that. Because he's right. acting. He keeps saying acting, yeah. acting, acting. Maybe yeah. Jimmy Woo gets a nice promotion. Director of Sword. I mean, that'd be a huge come up, but hey. Listen, they said in those early episodes that like, he's like, I'm only acting. Hold your horses. Ha <laughs> ha. White guy in a suit. <laughs> All right. Sticking with Hayward, Darcy is hacking his computer and they see that he's been tracking Vision's vibranium signature. Though why and how remains to be unknown. I have to believe that plays a role later since, again, as you mentioned, Wanda takes Vision's corpse from Sword HQ where they're up to all sorts of experiments and shit. So I hope they expand a little bit on that. Uh, at this point, Vision knows, listen, guys, the shit has hit the proverbial fan. I'm going to bounce deuces. He tries to push his way through the hexagonal static wall barrier. and he Heartbreaking scene. Yeah, he immediately begins to disintegrate in pretty harrowing fashion. Like, I know this is just a CGI combobulation, but it's still sad. You're seeing this self-aware a sentient being essentially be destroyed in small. And what he's saying, he's like, and like his last words are like the people in there need help. It's very heroic. It's sad. It's heroic. It's it's, if this is the end of him in the MCU, it has been a worthy send off, especially if he continues to like ascend into that good guyness and is ultimately the one who quote unquote saves the day. So far, I think that that's been the best part of this show as a whole. The way that they have been able to imbue Vision with such humanity that you genuinely Real believe. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it is a credit to both the performance, the writing, how they've developed this character over time that we could effectively buy what amounts to a robot being this genuinely kind. Awesome I when they announced that the title was WandaVision, I I sent out so many snarky tweets because I thought it was truly a garbage title, just like a terrible, laughably, hilariously bad title. And what I've come to realize that is that it does make sense because going into this show, I thought it was going to be a Wanda show. It's about Wanda's trauma, Wanda's grief, Wanda's abilities, Wanda's feelings, and really, it is about both of them. And like yeah. you mentioned, they've really done a great job of giving vision a true a true arc a, a true platform to be a real character and not just a kind and of the, plot and convenience that's the case for both of them they've both been given great depth oh, yeah, in absolutely. the in the show the difference is wanda has had this before we've seen her portray real pain in the mcu a she few times ultron's we, heart out right that she, the whole scene with thanos and endgame we've oh seen her gosh. show depth of emotion that has not been the case with vision and that's why seeing it now and having it not feel faked is is why it's been so enjoyable yeah, I've come around on the title because it is representative of everything we, we've just kind of discussed. So, well played, Marvel. I won't doubt you again. My bad. <laughs> uh, so, Vision is disintegrating in real time in horrible fashion. And Billy, whose psychic powers have kicked in, he senses this. He tells Wanda. Wanda literally pauses all of Westview. And to save Vision, she expands the hexagonal boundaries. And that basically was our worst fear earlier in the season. We were like, what happens if Westview starts expanding and starts 
amalgamating more of the real world. That is the true kind of nuclear situation. So, you know, Vision, Darcy, several sword agents are enveloped by the new boundary. We don't know what happens to Darcy, but in a nifty little sequence, everything and everyone else becomes you know, carnivals. It's it's a Ferris wheel. It's a, a big carnival tent. It's a big uh, cotton candy truck. And the the individual's agents are becoming like clowns and, and carnival workers. So this was a, a one of the niftier cool set pieces in recent MCU history, in, in my opinion. The transformation of the real world to fit the existing production design aesthetic of the sitcom world and Westview's kind of idyllic suburban town. A bit scary, a bit crazy. Yeah, and that's why I said at the top that, like, even though in terms of structure, this was a traditional TV show, but the Marvel fucking ramped it up to 12 here. And that's <laughs> yeah. when you, like, realize, like, oh, yeah, this is a new thing. Like, TV hasn't always been like this. A few more deep dive points that I want to talk about. Yeah, th- these are some interesting stuff, guys. So listen up if you've been before listening we... to us on the background. Before we get into <laughs> good call, because I do that with podcasts. Yeah, I lot. think everybody does. Tune this in. part, this part's good. And then we'll get into sort of what that expanding hex means for the MCU as a whole. So when Darcy is trying to uh, get through Hayward's firewall, she cracks the code at some point and she goes to a file called Cataract. The uh, subtitle is Classified Weapons Intel. Now this has. From what I saw, no comic book basis. It's not a group or a project or a story or anything like that. Now, the definition of the word itself is a medical condition in which the lens of the eye becomes progressively opaque, resulting in blurred vision. Now, if you've ever had or seen an old dog who's going blind and their eyes are sort of gray, that is what it looks like. Now... This is quite similar to how we see Vision and Pietro in their sort of horror film dead-eye forms. Now, what did this make me think? Because that is a on-the-nose connection. There is They knew people would screenshot that file and, re- and read what it says, right? Could S.W.O.R.D. actually be behind all this? Wanda, as she keeps saying, doesn't know how she got there and are experimenting with Wanda's powers to see if they could raise the dead. And let me just interject quickly. It was Hayward who showed Monica and our other heroes that footage. Wasn't necessary. We saw that footage from like an independent source of of Wanda breaking into S.W.O.R.D. Right, exactly. And that's as I brought up before, the two sides trying to provoke each other. And I will point out all this talk about Mephisto and devils and raising the dead is a generally demonic thing to do. Don't so whatever is going on with the otherworldly Agatha and Sword and Wanda's ability to rewrite reality and potentially raise the dead, because as they've said, everything inside of there becomes real. When it comes back out, it's really like that now. So I, all three of these things are clearly tied in. It's really interesting, and this was kind of my favorite theorization speculation of our conversation and that the episode itself elicited and to just try to build off everything you just threw out there it made me think that if sword indeed did have vision's corpse and if indeed cataract is tied to what you just said this sort of 
raising the dead and or recreating individuals. I'm wondering if they were trying to recreate vision or a version of vision, you know, an extremely powerful superhero robot as a sword soldier, because we know this is essentially what they've done throughout the MCU. Often uh, antagonists are just kind of dark mirror images of the, the protagonist. So that would fit. We also know in the Falcon of Winter Soldier, that's essentially what they're doing as Wyatt Russell plays John Walker, which is a government, government appointed, approved, and, you know, vetted version of the new Captain America. I think this also ties back into Nick Fury's argument back in 2012's The Avenger, that they needed to start developing new weapons because they were, quote, hopelessly, hilariously outgunned. So again, it's a consistent theme throughout the MCU to recreate and or reposition a hero for nefarious purposes. And there has been a running theme of distrusting the corruption or kind of destructive instincts and inclinations of the governing bodies of authority. So I think this all fits within the umbrella of typical MCU storytelling. So there's got to be more here than we're seeing at first glance, for sure. Yeah, and as we saw with S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, they were not what they seem to be. So I think it's that's very obviously the case with, with S.W.O.R.D. 2. And then a point on the hex, and this is not something that we thought of ourselves. This has been out there. The theory around no, the show... No, we thought of every theory. We're geniuses. We're brilliant. Everything we say is right. I do like... And that, folks, is why I tweet stuff early, because I want to get out our theories and memes and stuff first. Hashtag clout. Because I'm hungry. Now, there's been a widespread theory that as since you've pointed out, this hex, if you're inside of it, it changes your DNA, blah, blah, blah. Is this how the MCU gets mutants theory? That is underwhelming to me. Like, does that mean all the X-Men that we know and love are just going to wake up one day as heroes? Would the X-Men in the MCU take place 20 years from now once kids who are impacted by this grow up if this is the way that they do it because the hex now it didn't look like it was stopping like that thing looked like it was it was expanding so if that's the route that they go that would be underwhelming for me and suggest that the x-men would perhaps take place in the future i think that's interesting i that house of m no more mutants you know flipped for wandavision like introduced the mutants that theory has been out there for so long that i'm curious if Marvel is intentionally pivoting away from it, since it is so obvious. Uh, I remember I wrote in my Avengers Endgame review that Endgame was nothing that you expected and everything that you wanted. And I think Marvel's done a good job of not like intentionally trying to throw out subterfuge to the fan theories online, but doing a good job for the most part of delivering something that's somewhat unexpected or a twist on on an existing theory. So... However it culminates, I have a feeling it won't be as straightforward as there's mutants now, as we've been kind of theorizing and speculating. I bet it'll it'll be some sort of like, wow, they did that in a creative way. And then one last point, as I sat in awe, as I watched the hex expand endlessly, I will say again, Dr. Strange, where in the fuck are you? The hex is exploding. You're going to lose Long Island by Sunday. If you don't get on your ass and do something, dude. Where is this man? Do 
where is anyone, Doctor Strange, anyone, as I texted you, they can track the Infinity Stones energy to another planet, but none of their sensors are showing anything weird in fucking New Jersey? Someone else besides dickhead Hayward has to be on the scene. Maybe that's going to tie into the plot. Like, S.W.O.R.D. didn't alert them because S.W.O.R.D. are not the good guys and the... Like, why is it uh, happy uh, texting that. Peter being like, hey, man, some freaky shit's going no, on? No, no, no. What if Wanda is fucking blocking their brains? Well, she needs to... They, they need to explain why no other heroes are on the scene somehow. They like, have to, because it's I, getting ridiculous at this point. I can forgive this in other continuities, but because the MCU is built on their interconnectedness, interconnectedness, because that is the entire selling point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I need at least one throwaway line that explains why no one else has showed up to help out of like yeah. the millions of fucking heroes that are out there at this point. Local, too. Now, one last question before we move on to our awards and categories. They ask it in the episode, but I have, just have to reiterate, where the hell did Wanda suddenly get dozens of children? Do I even want to know the answer to that question? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I'm sure. Forming people and just bringing them in. Clearly, 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 this is going to be a key point down the stretch. It's a, uh, it's a bit ominous to to debate and think about. It is wild that they are keeping their cards close to the chest in that regard this late. Yeah, I mean, we only have three episodes to go, but presumably all supersized. Right. All right, let's get into the awards and categories, starting with the Infinity Gauntlet Award for our MVP. Fine. I'll do it myself. To me, I'm going with the opening credits, that post-grunge rock handheld camcorder intro. I thought it was the best of the series. What show was that? Malcolm in the Middle, I believe. Malcolm in the Middle, Brian Cranston, shout out. Um, I'm going with Monica Rambeau's very obvious superhero worthy moral compass that's a good one i have i have something about moral compasses later in this in this segment so i'm (laughs) I'm glad we're at least on the same vibe all right the thor the dark world award for worst performance you needn't have come so far asgardian death would have come to you soon enough not by your hand Uh, listen everyone in this episode is fine and I would have to give it to the character of di- acting director Hayward, who, like we said, is not just evil in this episode, but suspiciously evil and is just a kind of I'm going to fuck up everybody's plans kind of prick. Like he's not being effective in any of his endeavors. I am going with it's sort of meta here. I'm going with Agnes's performance to Vision. I think she really hams it up, perhaps to stir the pot a bit, but something about her being like, dead, dead dead you're dead i it's just i don't know a little too much there i'm really glad you said that because for the jarvis award for best performance by anyone except the lead actor allow me to introduce myself i am jarvis a virtual artificial intelligence and i'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best i can i'm going with katherine hahn as agnes i think the turn from "Quote unquote real Agnes back in." Oh, quote, she quote, is doing West. great. I'm saying that like like the character within the sh- within the world itself. Of course, gotcha, Catherine gotcha. Hahn is is yeah. killing it. I think I I think her turn there is great. That okie dokie neighbor that freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, she's crushing it. 
So I'm going with Evan Peters, sort of zany uncle vibes. I'm not usually his biggest fan, but his one-liners, for some reason, were absolutely crushing me. When he was trying to guess what Vision was dressed up as, where he's like, half shot corn? <laughs> just, that's just, just funny to me. That was very funny. That was a good little segment. I, I think this was the funniest episode of all of them, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, the Tony Stark Exposition Award, a.k.a. the Star-Lord who award for something that we need explained further by a smart guy star lord who star lord man legendary outlaw uh i got two one we're going to need a lot more information on monica's altered dna and whether or not there was some freaky stuff going on prior to the hex if the hex has fucked up like an entire town a huge town of people we need a little bit more background on that And then number two was kind of what we touched on a little bit earlier. Is episode seven too late to introduce a villain? Assuming that villain potentially extends into other projects in the MCU, I say no. If they're going to have a villain introduced and then defeated by the end of the show, I say yes. Yeah, but there's no way. I had the same one, though, so we can just jump to time still that real quick i'm going with as i said at the top the entire vision walking around town yeah. dying scene you could argue perhaps is the height of the show so far i still like moments of uh episode five more when like they're fighting in the in their living room i think yeah I like that but this was that was a great sequence for sure yeah uh, for mine, I'm going to the movie theater that they walk out of. It's showing The Incredibles and The Parent Trap. Now, if we think about this super literally, that puts this week's episode either in 1998 or 2004. More likely, it's just this nod to Disney's other, you know, super family and these mischievous twins. As you put in a note here, you know, The Parent Trap is a twin-focused kind of hijinks type of uh, movie, which obviously fits with Billy and Tommy. And the Incredibles are a superpowered family, which obviously fits with everybody here. So I thought that was cool. And then I also tried to pause and zoom in on some of the other street names outside of Ellis. But unfortunately, I couldn't get a clear view. So I bet there's some Easter eggs there that I just couldn't catch for Time Stone. All right, put this in Odin's Vault Award. Odin's Treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. I would say the Hex's expansion was just a really cool-looking MCU set piece. I said that before. I just think they did a really good job of transforming the real world into Westview. And I also thought that this was the most disturbing fake commercial of all. With the yes, dude. Yeah. What the fuck was that? Oh, my I'm, God. I'm curious if it's a parallel to Pietro's real fate and if it has, like, some deeper meaning there. I mean, I, I could be reading too much into it, but, man, that was, that was a good one. Dark. And what's crazy is it was just like commercials from when we were kids yeah like i feel like like that could have been for capri sun i would have been like oh i remember this commercial mine i'm going with wanda's throwback costume amazing yeah that was huge fan huge (laughs) fan (laughs) all right the cap lifts the hammer award for best hero moment i knew it obvious Here's a, I'm circling back to Moral Compass. Okay. Um, it is all a vision, but you know he's desperately telling Agnes that he's going to fix this. He's he's desperately trying to push through the static barrier to his own detriment in order to alert the outside world that these people need help. 
I think WandaVision and his story specifically can only end in tragedy at this point. And even without his memories of his previous life or an understanding of who he is, who he was, and what's going on around him, his moral compass remains intact. Vision may be a synthesoid, but he is more human than all of us put together. That was a great call. I should have thought of that one because uh, I was just so hyped up on Jimmy Woo going ahead. So that was fun. <laughs> Listen, because I didn't know he had that in him. Yeah, there's never a bad time to celebrate Jimmy Wu. So I, I completely stand by your choice, uh, my man. All right, Eric, what is the worst thing you can say about this episode? Uh, that this might actually be the worst one, but then dot, dot, dot into the best thing that I could say about it. That's totally okay. Because as you said to me in a text, this is a table setter for the final run, and it was still pretty solid. So I guess that really just speaks to how quality this show has been so far, that something like this, I think could not so much the worst but the least interesting the least impactful yeah i think my answer pretty much mirrors yours uh after the format shifting shock of episode four and the blockbuster reveal and family drama of episode five this episode leans more into the sitcom comedy and the hijinks of the medium it's a bit more of a repositioning of the plot for wandavision's final run of episodes as opposed to kind of an explosion, explosive entry in the season. So that's the worst thing I could say about it. I still enjoyed it overall. Nicest thing I could say about it, this may not be the single nicest thing, but just one nice thing that we haven't really talked about. I thought this was the best sitcom styling. Maybe that's because we were born in the 90s and we're very familiar with it, but I loved how out goes the live action studio audience, in comes the talking directly, the camera style, the handheld kind of camcorder intro, the the post-grunge rock feel and music. Uh, And I think this may have been the funniest of WandaVision's episodes. So I like that. Solid. All right, stuff we think is cool that needs mentioning. You stole mine. I mean, this was the obvious one. It's the kick-ass reference, which is so great. Both Aaron Taylor Johnson and Evan Peters starred in that one. So Quicksilver's across multiple mediums have a connection there. And I, I mean, that that was the m- most obvious and yet most effective little meta reference. Yeah, that's a good one. I just had the bit about the parent trap and such. All right, let's move on to some Twitter questions to close out this episode. At underscore Mr. Blakeney asked, do we get another, quote, post-credit scene again this season? As you'll remember from last week's pod, we pointed out that Evan Peters' Pietro reveal is technically an in-show post credit scene since Wanda rolls the credits to try to end her argument with Vision and he doesn't let her. Uh, I would say no. I, I would say that's that's probably the, the one time they pulled that trick. We might get a traditional post credit scene, but that exists outside of the sitcom styling. Yeah, I think that we may get an old-school MCU post credit scene, but in terms of them pulling that in-show gag, no. Yeah. Uh, at 15 minute Marvel says, I need to know where my boy Phil has been and what Dottie has done with him. But for real, do you trust Hayward? Could he be scroll? Uh, my one point is, and I, I said this somewhere in our notes is Phil the B guy. Uh, I, I don't, I, my first thought was Phil Coulson from agents of shield, but I'm thinking maybe one of the, just the, the male towns members was named Phil and we just forgot. <laughs> but, uh, my, Where's I, I the beekeeper? This, yeah, I seriously don't know where that guy is. I want to know that. Uh, my, I put this in our notes somewhere. Did we just collectively, like as a, a fandom, completely blow out of proportion Dottie's importance? Maybe. She, I mean, so she gave off feelings. weird vibes. 
she did for a like, reason. She, she hasn't been back since. So like maybe she was just like a weird scene, and but it was relatively normal. She's just a person. But she was like also else. there when they did that weird for the children, for the children. So that, it was super weird. But you know, there hasn't been much going on. All right, do we think Hayward could be a scrawl? I mean, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure scrolls get tied into this one. I feel like that would be having a hat on a hat to balance too much, right? Exactly. Okay. And last one. Do you think mutants are a result of the snap? We talked this about is, this that. Is from at C Brown 901. Do you think mutants are a result of this the snap? Are after effects of Wanda's radiation? Oh wait, Mark. Wait, wait, wait. After this, is he asking that coming back from the snap is what gives people their powers? Potentially. I think that's kind of a cool little wrinkle we can talk about. Uh, which superhero is Monica Rambeau turning into? And ain't any other major cameos coming? All right. So like we said, if mutants do exist as a result of WandaVision, I assume it's going to be some type of unexpected little twist on the existing theories that are out there. Yeah, I would be underwhelmed, to be frank, despite how much I'm enjoying this show. If this show went that route and it had to do with the hex or something like that, or the snap even, I'm not really sure I'm sold the on after that. Effect but of they radiation. do face a monumental task of the task ahead of them of having to explain where mutants have been this whole time or why they're just showing up now is a huge one. There's no it has to be like iron tight. Yeah, there's no easy way to do it. So if this is the way that they figured out to do it i respect them i will go along with it just to me that feels underwhelming ish because it as i said at the top it raises the question of what form and when the x-men will take place in the mcu logan isn't just gonna wake up one day be like oh fuck i have claws now i guess (laughs) i guess now i I guess now i'm logan and i'm pissed off and i'm drinking you know so it's gonna be interesting what that leads me to believe maybe it has to do with the fact that they can't find and then found a bunch of kids in in this town i think that the x-men is going to take place in the mcu down the road and something that we're going to learn over the course of the next few years is going to be the catalyst for that but whenever the mcu film is it'll be 20 25 years ahead so the kids who were affected by said catalyst can grow up and become the characters that we know that would be an interesting take on it. I, I could get behind that. And Eric, just building off what you said, I think even more important than how they introduce mutants is creating a believable, emotionally compelling reason why superheroes are largely championed by the populace and mutants are persecuted against. Because that is the cornerstone of the X-Men comics. That is the entire parallel metaphor to everyday prejudice that they're trying to represent. So really hammering that home and giving them a good reason to be persecuted within the MCU alongside superpowered individuals who are hailed as heroes. That's really, really important for the entire arc of every mutant story that's going to be told in the MCU. Good point. They need to nail that shit. Great point. Yeah. Uh, Which superheroes Monica Rambeau turning into? I mean, like we said, in the comics, she's Captain Marvel, then she's Photon. She'll probably be some Captain Marvel adjacent type hero, right? Yeah. And any other major cameos coming? I mean, like we said, I, I think Doctor Strange is the favorite. and That Captain lazy Marvel's- bastard. <laughs> yeah, see, where are you? Like, you better have a damn good reason. Dormammu must have escaped or some shit <laughs> like that. Like, Wong must have had a heart attack. Like, you need to come correct, my friend. Yeah, seriously. And I think Captain Marvel is a good underdog bet, if not Doctor Strange. But I, I would assume it's one of those two. 
if there is another cameo coming. Captain Marvel, what's she gonna do? Punch the force field? She has no she has she can't combat what's going on here. Dude, she's got super energy powers, and they've made a point at the beginning of this show to say, Wanda and Captain Marvel, the two most powerful Avengers. Like, okay, then let's see him square off. Yeah, but just because you could punch a hole in the wall doesn't mean you could fix a sink. I know that's clunky, but that's no, I, I the, like that. That was a good term. But that's sort of the point here. Like, just because she's could could do a lot, it doesn't mean she's the right. But she's got here. energy manipulation. I powers. remain bullish on the Doctor Strange appearance, if only for the fact I will no longer respect him <laughs> if he Seriously. doesn't show up. This fucker is taking so long to show up that it's turning into a bit. I'm starting to hate him just for the sake of the joke. Doctor Strange 2 isn't actually about the multiverse. It's about him taking a weekend, a boys weekend to Vegas to wind down. And that's why he's not here. Him and Wong are just at the craft table. Yeah, it's pretty much just like fear and loathing, but with Strange and and Wong. Exactly, which I would 100% watch. All right, guys, that is it for us. If you want to ask any more questions, if you want to tell us how dumb we are, follow us uh, at PostCredPod on Twitter. We'd love to engage with you guys, good or bad. And I'm going to say it again, five-star reviews. Thank you all. Yes, on Apple. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Peace, baby. I'm going to make them an offer, guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.